Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning. Uh, We're going to look at the book of Acts. We're working our way through the book of Acts, uh, chapter uh, 6 and 7. We're going to go through the uh, uh, one story in the uh, in, in those chapters this morning. If you're new, if this is kind of your first time, uh, the book of Acts is the history of the church immediately following the death of Jesus. So the gospels take you up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. The book of Acts just really connects itself to the end of the gospels. And it is the record of the growth of the early church over the next 30 or so years. So that's what the book of Acts you know, it, it is. So uh, uh, when you read, you'll kind of kind of know, know that. In previous messages, in the last uh, three weeks, this is the fourth part, uh, we talked about Jesus' experience with and the teaching about the Holy Spirit, uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, the emerging habits and patterns of the new church, the miracle uh, at the beautiful gate, the first arrest of the apostles, the continued growth and maturing of the new church, uh, the church deals like Last week with a serious problem, we had Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, uh, had a little had a little issue we had to work through uh, last week, and then the apostles were arrested again. So that's kind of all of these messages. They're on iTunes and our podcast, our YouTube channel, uh, Facebook. You can get get caught up if you would like. So this morning. Uh, in Acts 6, we're going to look at the church adapting to a changing environment. The church adapting to a changing environment. So watch, watch what's hap- what, what happens in this, uh, in this passage. Acts 6 and verse 1. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. I want to just stop there just for a second. So this is a continued kind of theme that works itself, uh, even though there's probably a little distance between the end of of Acts 5 and 6, you know, chronologically, it could have been months or a year or so, there's a continued growth that is happening in the local church. So the number of disciples is increasing. Keep that in mind. So in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, anybody remember that term from Western Civ or history, Hellenistic, Hellenism, got it? Remember that? I'm going to call on some of you that are nodding your heads. Okay. It just means the Greek influence. So it was people, it was Jewish people who probably were raised outside of Israel who spoke Greek and adapted to Greek customs. They were Jews. They were in the church. They were followers of Jesus. So in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic or Greek Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily food distribution, distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right, the, the apostles, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men uh, from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So here we go again. We've got the potential for an issue in this emerging church. Last week, we saw Ananias and Sapphira, and that, that whole situation that presented a great challenge to the church of that day. Now we've got another problem, another issue uh, in the church. So the church had a feeding program for widows. It was a daily feeding program. There was no government support. There was no government help, Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, nothing like that. There were people that were destitute and poor, widows especially, and the church had a daily program to feed them. Evidently, someone forgot 
to feed the Grecian Jew widows, okay? Somebody, somewhere, somehow, some way. Now, this is big. This is big. This is not forgetting to pick someone up on the way to church. This is you are forgetting food, okay? That you are forgetting to feed them. This was a daily thing that they did. So evidently, this was going on, you know, sporadically or over, you know, two or three days. They were forgetting and, and to, uh, to take food to the Grecian widows. Now, this could have been a really difficult time because this is serious. It says they complained about it. Hey, this is not right. Hey, we're forgetting an element, you know, here in our church. We are not feeding them. They are going hungry because of you know, there's some, something wrong in the system here. So, uh, so the, the apostles and the disciples, you know, they, they, they come up with a plan. Now, listen, this is not being arrogant at all. Like, you know, like they're too good to, to be part of this feeding program. But they're just trying to keep their focus you know, of prayer and preaching and study of the word and service, you know, overall, uh, overall to the church. So, you know, the, you know, the, the, the pastor, you know, that it's part of the primary responsibility of prayer and study and preaching. And, and, and there are so many things that go on sometimes. You just have to kind of make sure that that is a priority. And they were, you know, and they were doing that. So it's okay to kind of, you know, to help and serve as a, as a pastor. You know, you, but you don't want to be in your prayer tower all the time when there's all kinds of, all kinds of needs. So they, they were trying to, you know, try to find a balance here. So they said, let's choose some men fill, uh, full of the Spirit and wisdom. So here's their answer. And turn this responsibility over to them. Okay, so the church was experiencing rapid Change. I read you the very first sentence. It said, disciples were increasing. This was ongoing. If you see, one theme from every chapter was the exponential growth of the church. So the church was experiencing rapid change. I just want to say, in life, you must learn to adapt and adjust. Okay? You must learn to adapt and adjust. There is nothing that is static. There is nothing that is unchanging. Everything is moving. Everything is changing. Life changes. Business changes. Relationships change. The church changes. Every, everything changes. And if you stay stuck when things change, you will have problems, okay? So, like, you've heard this term. It's not original with me, but it's adapt or die. Adapt or die. Sometimes there's such movement in life that you've got to kind of relook at what you've been doing in the past in light of what's going on in your life now. You know, like we in the church, we're going to endure to the end, okay? We're just going to hold out to the end. Well, that's not really in context of what we're talking about here, you know, but, uh, but, but there are times that we have to just relook at, at things and go, hey, there's some, there's some things that are changing. There's some things that worked in the past that aren't working now, and we've got to take a new look, come up with a new answer. I want to just say to some of you, this is the word from the Lord this morning, all right? Some of you are trying to find an answer today for what, you know, decisions that you made, you know, months and years ago, and there's new things, there's new happenings, new things that the Lord wants to do and launch you into, into something new. So this was not, you know, necessarily uh, ignoring the Grecian widows. This was probably just with the growth, they probably just outgrew the, the, the organizational pattern that they had at this particular point. So their answer was, the apostles' answers were, let's increase the size of our team and release them to do this. Okay, we need to increase the size. This is not working. It's growing. It's changing. So let's add to the team. But not just add to the team, let's train them, let's delegate it, and let them go, let them go do it. So, let me just say, this is kind of hopefully how the church handles things. It moves 
forward. It deals with issues. It deals with problems. But it moves forward and it stays on mission. Our goal is to present the gospel to the world. And there may be bumps in the road along the way. But we want to deal with that and stay on, stay on mission. Stay focused. I loved when I read Nehemiah. When there was his great... You know, the enemies were approaching, and Nehemiah stands there, you know, building that wall, and he's got a hammer in one hand, and he's got a sword in the other. I love that, okay? He's adapting to a changing environment, and whatever happens, we continue, uh, we continue to move forward. So things change, and you got to, to relook at things. You know, two years ago, over two years ago, our church is functioning I mean, all ministries, you know, we're, we're doing well. And then we go from one Sunday, when that pandemic hit, we're wide open, to the next Sunday, I can't have any more than 10 people in the building. I mean, boom, it shut. Everything that we had known about church, everything that we had known about ministry, it changed. We're rewriting. How do, everything is moving virtually. Everything is now moving online. What, you know, what, what, can we, what can we do? We make accommodations there. Then a few months later they go, but you can have 25% in your building. So you rechange. You recalibrate. You, you change. Because I want to say, too, uh, even when it change, things change initially, it's not static either. You know, once you adapt to one change, there are other changes that come along the way. So, man, it was 25%. You can't have any more than 25% in your building. Then you can't have any more than 50% in your building, 50% capacity. We had shelter at home for our staff. We're trying to figure out how to do all this stuff. Every time we would rewrite, all right, here's the new plan. One day we had the new plan that we were going to email to the church. Here's how we're going forward. That afternoon, the county commission did something. We scrapped it. We had to start all over on Thursday. All right? So the, the, the ability to, you know, uh, adapt and morph and change is, is important. So I, I came to this and I told the team, I said, from here forward, you know, this is what is going to get us through. It's going to be quick assessment and decision-making and effective communication. It's the new rule. So my year-long calendar, I love my year-long calendar, okay? We scrapped it. We scrapped it. Now we're just going to look 30 days out because things were changing so rapidly, okay? What, no, we don't, we don't identify it as what we want to do. We find out what can we do and let's maximize that. And I mean, we just, it was, it was like month to month. Let me just say as the planner, I hated that. I absolutely hate that. I love policies, procedures. I like predictability and stability. So this was just messing with me because it was different every, mo every month. So I just want to say to you that there is a quality that every person has to have when there is a changing environment. you got to realize what was happening in the past is not working now. And i got, I got to do something different. i got to reassess. i got to make some new decisions. i got to change some things that have always been comfortable to me. And I've got to, I've got to move on. So that's, that's what they did. You know, going where you're missing... <laughs> Feeding people, when feeding are going hungry, people are going hungry, you, you got to come up with a new plan. So that's what they did. Let's increase the size of our team and let's release them to do ministry. Look at verse 5. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nic Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenius, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So they started picking some guys out, all right, that could, that could handle this. Now, one of the first ones they pick is Stephen, and I want to just talk about him for a moment because he's going to be the narrative uh, uh, continually in this chapter. So they, Stephen was the first person that they picked out, and there's some things to learn about serving from the life of Stephen, okay? So let's just look at Stephen just for a moment. Number one, Stephen was a layperson, 
Didn't have the traditional kind of ministry track. He was just a regular person that served in the local church. Listen to me. Sometimes people think that you have to be a preacher or in the ministry to do something great for God. And you could not be more wrong. Okay. We don't believe that. We don't preach that. Okay. He was just a person that loved the Lord. So I just want to say to this congregation this morning, go and do the works of Christ. Go with the power of God. Go with the presence of God. Go with the confidence that God is watching over your steps in everything you do, just like he does those that serve in the ministry here. Everything that you do for God will not necessarily be on this property or within the ministries confined to this church but I want you to be like Stephen. Just go serve. Just go serve. You You don't have to live in the shadow of, you know, those in the ministry. You can do great things yourself. So Stephen was a, was a lay person. He was connected to the local church. He was connected to the local church. They knew him. They knew his character and his walk with God. So when they said, we're looking for someone full of the spirit and with wisdom, he was one of the first names that came with my, to mind because he was connected to the local church. So when they're, when they're going, who do we know that's filled with the Holy Spirit? And it's just, it's just a wise person, okay? Stephen comes to mind because he was connected. He's a lay person, but he's, he's connected. They, they knew him. He was faithful, so that it was easy for them to make that choice. He had the confidence of the local church leaders, so he wasn't distant. As I mentioned, when the position came open, he is the first name or one of the first names they called, all right? Now, they listed some other men because every ministry opportunity needs different kinds of people, all right? So just think, if I gave you the task, your responsibility is to feed the widows of the church, how would you process that? If you're in charge, how would you process that, all right? Some of you can see your wheels already. Some of you are going, I would call in sick. That's what I would do, all right? So, so how would you deal with that? Well, you need somebody that's organizing it, you know, that would be going, how many are we feeding? What's the menu? Who, you know, uh, who's going to go buy the food, all right? Uh, who's going to cook? Do you see that there are different skills here? Sometimes you don't want the cook. You want, you want the cook cooking, okay? You don't want the cook organizing sometimes. Who's going to be delivering the food? Who's going to clean up? Nobody, God never leads anyone to clean up. I've just learned that over many years in the ministry, okay? You just feel like that is ministry training, clean up. So, so they, 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 he had the confidence of the local church leaders and and they called these men's name probably because they had some diversity of gifts from organizing to purchasing, cooking, delivering, cleaning up, you know. So he had the confidence of the local church leaders. He was already serving in the church. He was already serving in the church. So they, they saw him doing other things. And when this door opened, he, he, was, he was ready but they, but they knew about him as well. Some people think that when I get the opportunity, you know, to serve like I want to serve, then I will step it up and, you know, I'll step it up spiritually. And, and it's in reverse, okay? You really just serve where you have the opportunity and you never know what door the Lord may open up to you if you're just, if you're just faithful, all right? So some go, I'm going to wait for my moment, and then, man, I'll, I'll step into it and serve with all of my heart. But in actuality, just serve wherever there's a need, and you, you may be surprised at where that will lead you, all right? My, my ramp into service in the local church did not start with the pulpit or lights or a camera. My ramp to service in the church started when I was in the youth group, okay? And my youth pastor called me and said, hey, I got something I need you to do. I thought he wanted me to preach. Of course. All right. He said, hey, I just want you to count the offering on Wednesday night. Can you do that? 
Okay, yeah, all right, all right, I'll do that. Now, listen, that's back in the day. Teenagers had no money. They're loaded now. They're loaded, all right? Back then, that offering was nothing but quarters, nickels, dimes, pennies. Took me forever. And if you had a couple of dollars in the youth, youth offering, it was like revival had hit, you know? But that's what I did. I just counted the offering. That's what he needed, okay? Count the offering, seal it up, you know, put the, put the number on the, on the front of the envelope, you know, $1.17, take, take it to the leader. So that, that's what I did. It wasn't really where I wanted to start, but that was the opportunity that presented itself. Not long after that, you know, my mother got a call from the, the church and uh, we had, I went to a very large church and we had this huge Easter drama, okay? We had, we, our church sat probably 1,500 people and I mean, this Easter drama, it would be packed every night. We'd have over 10,000 people in the Easter drama. We, we had, you know, it was just huge. Police having to help park. So I get a call. Hey, um, the director would like Brian to be in the Easter drama this year. You know, well, sure. I'll tell him he'll be at practice. And I'm like, I got a call to be in the Easter drama. Hey, hey, they have seen my gifts. They have seen my gifts. I go, I sit, you know, in the opening meeting, you know, I'm not, I'm trying to be humble, but I'm going, I got a call from the office to, to be here, you know. So they start going down the list of, you know, who's going to be what part, you know. They get through the apostles, I'm not there. They go through the whole Sanhedrin. I'd be a good Sanhedrin, okay. Nothing. All the major parts, you know, everybody that had a, had a name in the Bible, so, so they call out all the parts, and they ask them to go another room, and then me and a few other people, we're just sitting there, okay? So I go, hey, uh, my name is Brian Nugent. I got a call from the office to be here, and uh, so I just didn't get my name. I was just curious. She said, oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, we have a part for you. She said, do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane the boy that gets his ear cut off? I said, yeah. She said, that's you. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I got it, I got it, I got it. Is there, uh, you know, is there any script? You know, any words? She went, no, no. But you just go, ow, 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 ow. Like, Okay. Ow, ow, ow. So, you know, you don't always start where you want to. You just start where there's a need. So if that's what you need me to do, I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. You know, I'm more qualified for other things, but I'm going to do it. So it's opening night. Man, you can't even get there. It is packed, 1,500 people. They are so excited. I'm in my gown, my costume, and the director walks over to me, and she said, open your hand, and she puts two blood caplets in my hand. She said, when he swings towards your ear, you smack this against your head, and there'll be blood flowing. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know there was blood. Oh, there's blood. That changed the whole way of my perception of that moment. You know, so, man, he swings. I got blood. You would have thought he hit my juggler vein and not my ear. I mean, I got blood everywhere. And I just, you know, like as an actor, you've got to feel the moment. I just felt like they could not really grasp the depth of Jesus healing until they knew the pain that I was going through. Physically, emotionally, psychologically. I'm staggering all over the stage. They are waiting for me to die. Blood's everywhere. That part has never been done since. Passion of the Christ, anyone? All right? So I just want to say, I just want to say, you know, you don't wait. I'm going to, when I serve, when I get that moment, then I'm going to turn it on. You know what? You start where there's a need. You just serve where there's a need. You be faithful. You let the, the leaders have a sense of your character and their, your faithfulness. And you just never know what doors may open when you just, you know, you're just willing to serve. God was also moving powerfully in Stephen's life. Okay? 
Something else we can learn from Stephen. He's a layperson, but God was, God was moving in his life. They chose Stephen, and they used the term, he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here's a man who is growing. You know, he's not a novice here. He's a layperson, but man, he's strong in his faith. He is solid in his faith. He is full of the Holy Spirit, dependent upon the Spirit of the, of the Lord. And in Acts 8, it says that he even performed great wonders and signs among the people. So when you ask the question, who in the Bible performed the first miracle outside of the presence of the apostles? The answer is a layperson who was serving tables in the local church, who was serving widows. His name is Stephen, and God was moving powerfully in his life. I want to say it again. Do not think the best revelation, the most powerful anointing, the greatest miracles are reserved for those in the ministry. Preach the gospel. Pray for the sick. Lay your hands on people. Witness and share with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And God will use you in the same way. All right? So they recognize this important ministry. All right? And I want to say demographic, ethnic, and need-based ministries are essential to the church. you gotta, you got to have those kind of things. It's not just about Sunday morning. Sunday morning is the hub but there are other wonderful ministries, you know, as, as well. Teenagers, GC kids, GC youth, Spanish, African, GC families, GC ladies, GC reach, all of the other. They're important. It's not just what happens here on Sunday morning, but those demographic need-based and ethnic ministries, they're, they're important too, all right? I... So when I ask you a question for those that serve, why do you serve? Why do you serve? I want Alicia, Tina, Nathan, and Pam, I want you to come to the front really quick. These are some of our, our team that, that serve on a, on a regular basis. I want you guys to come to the, come to the stage. Why don't you give them a hand? There's some of our great workers here. <clears throat> come on up here. <clears throat> come on up here. Nathan, I'll just start with you. I just, I told him I was going to ask this question because let me just say to all of these, all right? Nathan works with our kids. Pam works with media. Alicia works with our youth. Tina works with our classes on Wednesday night, amongst other things. To do all these ministries, you have to come early. You got to stay late. Those of you that work with kids, you know, you just need an ibuprofen when you get home or stronger. You know, so there's always kind of this sacrifice, you know, to serve, to serving. So, Nathan, why, why do you serve? Well, for us, it was hard to. Uh, is, that, is that on? Let me see. Here, just take it. Okay. Um, for us, it was, it was hard for me to, to narrow it down to just one thing. But, you know, I want my kids to see me serving and to model for them that we, we want to serve the church. We want to serve God. And, and one way of serving God is serving in, you know, where our kids are being ministered to. Um, and to, to show them to always ask, how can I help? You know, what can I do? Um, and then another for, for whenever we first started, it was a great way for us to connect with people and different people that we don't normally see. Um, so it was, it was connecting with others. And then... Um, the other part of that is it's really fun to serve here. I mean, the leaders here make it really fun and enjoyable. Now, I don't like getting here at 830 in the morning for GC kids. I'm not going to lie. But whenever the kids come in and you see them enjoying it and you can just get in and, and really, you know, minister to them and, and serve them, it makes it all worth it for us. That's great. Alicia, why do you, why do you serve? Pastor likes to torture me also. I'm going to have to just read my response if you don't mind. So bear with me. Um, I initially started serving in response to Megan's request for help in the pre-K class several years ago, and I truly enjoyed my time in there. But as my son got older and transitioned into youth, I began to look back and be reminded of the impact of my own mom being one of my youth leaders um, and the example she set for me week in and week out. 
and the experiences that we shared as a result of that. It became very important to me that I set that example of servanthood for him and encourage and support him in doing the same. My why had become personal. As an introvert, I attended for many years without really knowing anyone because I never got involved. Choosing to serve opened the door for new friendships that now I wouldn't trade for the world. Uh, finally, and most importantly, I believe my service is a form of worship. I don't have much to give materially or financially, and I don't have any special talent. <laughs> I hate being on stage, but I do. what I do have is a heart to serve, and I have time, and he is worthy of it all. Amen. They're dropping some gold up here. Pam, what do you serve? So, you know, they've, they've covered most of why I think all of us serve, but for me, the what I thought about initially is the root of it. I saw my parents serve. And so they modeled something that just became, you just do. That's what you do. You have a responsibility when you walk when you belong anywhere to your church, to your job, to whatever, that you've got to have that heart for service. And so for me, it's, you know, I think, you know, it's it, you when you don't feel good, you don't want to be here, still you come. And when I, when you leave, you feel better. Yeah. You, your heart is lifted. The, the things that were weighing on you, they're gone because you took your focus off of all of that and you put it into helping others and doing for others. And so it's, you know, it's just about being available. It's about doing. It's about the relationship building. It's about all of the things that, that you've said. And most of all, it's also about helping the church um, be something that everybody can come to and see and, and have an experience in that, that changes their life. And it's life changing. That's great. Tina, what do you serve? It's okay. Nervous, yeah. So um, basically for me, it's, I feel like it's an honor and a privilege and a blessing. Um, like I do check-in and so we get new families that come to our church and I want to reassure them that their child That's is going to get the very best care when they leave them in my hands as I'm working in the nursery, you know, loving on those babies, uh, nurturing them, rocking them when they are so tired and fighting to go to sleep <laughs> to get them to go down. And then on Wednesday nights, you know, the parents entrust their kids to me, and I want to be able to make sure that I am nurturing them, loving on them, teaching them everything I can about Jesus and how much Jesus loves them. And so that's kind of why I serve and invite you to serve. Yeah. Because we always need extra help. Bo will not turn anybody down. That's right. um, and then you ask, you know, is it crazy? Yeah, it's crazy sometimes. But it's very rewarding. Amen. Hey, give it up for them. Great, great job. So there's a place for everyone to serve. There's a place, there's an opportunity for you to serve God. Uh, so, you know, they, they get these people they lay hands on them. They pray for them. And then it says, verse 7, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And the faith, oh, excuse me, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So what happened when the apostles went back to kind of praying and the, the laity started doing this, man, the church grew. Okay, so there's a balance that is achieved when pastors are doing kind of their thing and the church is going, hey man, there's needs here that we can fill. There's a balance here of growth. If your pastors are always doing it or your pastors aren't praying or whatever, you know, there's, it gets, there's some imbalance there, but this thing started to, this thing started to work. All right. Verse nine, opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freemen, uh, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen that they could not stand up against his wisdom. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law 
They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, against the law. For we have heard him say, this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was that of an angel. I said it just a few weeks ago. In a moment of crisis, God will always give you what you need. Okay? So he's on trial all of a sudden. And man, there, there are false witnesses. You know, I mean, this is just in a moment that he's happened. And his face is like an angel. He had the presence of God on him. It was not the face of anxiety, you know, or worry. I want to just remind you. Walk into the moments that God has ordained for you and he will give you what you need in that moment. We would default back to other things, but he's sitting there. It's something noticeable about, about his face. So let me ask you, when you go through a trial, what does your face look like? If the writer is looking at your face and he's describing what your face looks like when you go through a trial. What's he writing? All right, like he needs 911. They need some Ambien. Bring it quickly, you know. What's he, what are they writing? So he, he's got this very peaceful look. Then the high priest, he asked Stephen, are these charges true? Stephen responds with a 51-verse response that I am not going to read, okay? But I, I do want to give you a little homework. I want you to go to Acts 7 this afternoon, and I want you to read Stephen's response. Unbelievable. Great spiritual depth, great logic. I mean, this layperson, he just nails it in a moment. Okay, I'm going to read you the last three verses of his very lawyerly and theological presentation of, of, of are these, are these uh, statements true against you? All right, so here is his summation, his closing argument here. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised, just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given uh, through the angels, but you have not obeyed it. All right? So if you're trying not to be killed, this is not what you do. All right? That's his closing. Okay? That's, that's how he closed his answer back. Verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. And they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees. He cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against him. And when he said this, he fell asleep. So they... they it says they gnash their teeth. They're hissing. I just want you to kind of get this moment. They're, they're, they're gnashing their teeth. They're hissing at him. They are yelling. They are screaming. They're covering their ears as though, you know, when they hear, they heard the truth uh, about, you know, about the gospel. Man, you know, they're, they're, they're covering their ears and they rush him. It's like a, an, an uncontrollable frenzy. And let me just remind you too, in this legal proceeding, there has not even been a legal pronouncement of guilt. This is just chaos. This is mob rule. They heard what he was saying and they couldn't stand it anymore. And they, in this frenzied condition, they, they run and they grab Stephen. But 
Let me just say, there was something unusual that was happening in the heavens at the moment. Maybe they could see it, maybe they couldn't see it, but Stephen could and he looked up and he saw the presence of God and he saw the glory of God just standing there with Jesus waiting on him. Let me just tell you something this morning. I don't know how we all go out. I don't know how our last act will be on the earth. The Bible says that for some it's going to be an unusual day. There's going to be a trumpet that's going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to be raised and it said we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the Lord with him in the air to ever be with the Lord. All right, So that's one way that we may all go out. Let me say that's my way of preference. Let me just say that. All right. But there's another way. Who knows the day nor the hour. But I just want to say to you at the time of your death, however that may be, there's going to be something similar to what Stephen experienced on that day. That the same God that saved you, that the same God that kept you, that the same God that filled you will be looking over the portals of heaven ready to receive you into the glories of heaven. He looks and he sees that worship team, you guys can come. And they grab him and they drag him outside the city because that was part of the Old Testament. If you were going to stone someone, you took them outside the city. They take him outside the city, this frenzied crowd, and they start to gather large stones. And it was the custom that the eyewitnesses of the trial would cast the stone first. And they did it just in case people would lie or have untruthful testimony. They wanted them to be the one to throw the first stone. So if there was any uncertainty in their life, you know, most people wouldn't do it. The eyewitnesses in Stephen's case, they they get Stephen and they take their coats off, their outer coats, so they can have greater flexibility for what's about to happen. And they, they, they hand it, They hand it off, all right? And they start to circle him up, and they're yelling, and they're screaming, and they're taking large rocks. And and you don't throw a long way away. You're just like right around. And they just start pounding these rocks. And to be stoned is one of the most awful ways that you could ever die. You know, great bloodshed, internal injuries. They break your legs. They break your ribs. Finally, it gets to your head. You're, there's, there's loss of consciousness because of the bloodshed and injuries to the, uh, to the head. And it's just an awful way. But what's unusual is that everybody that's killing you is about two feet away. They're just circled. They're circled up around you. It's awful, awful. And in the last moment... In the last moment, God's not through, you know, with what Stephen, he'll always be present in the moment. Stephen looks around, not with fear, anxiety, or understandable hate, but he says, Lord, please forgive them. Please forgive them. Out of all the emotions that you might experience in that moment, You wouldn't think that grace and forgiveness would surface to the point where you were praying a public prayer. Last thing he said on earth, please forgive them. And he dies. And Stephen becomes the first martyr of the new church. Not a prophet, not a priest, not a preacher. A layperson who just loved Jesus with all of his heart. It's not original with me, but this statement is true that the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. He went through this horrible moment and and God did some powerful things in Stephen and I want to say this just in closing when you go through your greatest trial you never know who's watching you while you're walking through that you never know I realize sometimes when you go through intense things 
we, we are focused on ourselves. I understand that. You know, we're praying, we're trying to have faith, we're, you know, trying to relieve, you know, some of the situation that we are in. I understand that. But do you know, anytime we're in a trial, people watch. They're watching, you know, they're watching really the validity of a faith that we've said that we've had. Now, man, there's some bumps in the road and they're watching. So who's watching? Stephen. So those eyewitnesses, when they handed their coats, this young man grabbed them. And his name is Saul. Saul was the legal entity of the government. Acts 8 says he, he gave his consent to Stephen's death. He was the he was the guy that was with this frenzy going on. There was no legal pronouncement. And they're looking, do we have the authority to do this? It was Saul that said, yeah, you do. He's holding the coats of the eyewitnesses. And he's standing there, feet away from the, one of the most atrocious deaths you could ever see. But he's seeing and he's hearing and he's noticing something unbelievable in the life of Stephen. Okay. We're going to talk about Paul's conversion in a couple weeks. But I want to tell you, my theory is that God started working on the hardened heart of Paul, Saul, at the death of Stephen. It was that moment when he handed the coats back and he walked back to his house and he went back to his boss and said, hey, it's done. When he laid down at night or when he walked back home, that that scene played over and over in his mind. This hardened, legalistic Jew God started speaking to his heart, not necessarily through a sermon, but he watched somebody walk through a really, really hard time. So I just want to say, when you go through a trial, it's not always about you. It's about you. It's about you. There are other things that the Lord may be doing in the moment of your adversity that you don't understand. You've prayed for people in your life to come to the Lord you know, to, to find faith in Jesus. And you wanted, to ha- wanted it to happen with a conversation over Starbucks. But the Lord's got a different plan. So you just never know how that's being used, okay? I want to say, I want to say this morning, <clears throat> just maybe, maybe if you're here today, you're not a believer, you're not a, you know... Maybe you haven't given your life over to the Lord in this story about Stephen. A couple of things I want to just ask. Why do you think people like Stephen give their time to serve? You know, widows, cooking, cleaning up. You know, people that have had their best day. There's no, there's no way that this can help him. They can't help him. Why do you think... Why do you think people like Stephen serve this group that was up here? Why do you think people serve? They come early, they stay late. They deal with different kind of things. Why? What, what is it that makes them do that? What is it? Why, why do you think people would die for the gospel? Why do you think here's a man who would die? He gave his life for the gospel of Jesus. Why do you think people would do that? Why do you think that would happen, especially if Stephen knew that this gospel was some kind of fabrication or something? Why do you think people would do that? I want to tell you why people serve, and I want to tell you why people would give their life and undergo great adversity. It's because they have found something in Christ that is worth the sacrifice of their time, money, and even their life. All right? They've found something in Christ. It's deeper than just attending a church. It's deeper than just being a member, but it is a relationship with Jesus. Why do these people do these things? Because they found something real in their life. That's why they do those things. 
If you're here today, you're away from the Lord, maybe never given your heart over to the Lord, I want, to, I want you to consider this morning, man, giving your heart to Christ, becoming a follower of Jesus. And I, I frame it, I frame it this way. If you'll do three things, then God will do three things. If you'll do three things, which is admit that you need the Lord, believe that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead, confess your sins to him. If you'll do those three things, then God will do three things for you. He'll give you forgiveness of sin. He'll give you a new life. And what you've known before, old things passed away, all things become new. He'll give you a new life, write a new chapter. He'll give you eternal life as well. You don't have to sweat the death moment. What's going to happen? You'll just know somehow, some way, he's going to receive you into, into his presence. If you'll do those three things, I'm telling you, God will do those three, three things, and you'll never be sorry. Would you bow your heads with me today? Would you bow your heads? Thank you, Lord. Hey, if you're here today, maybe you're not where you should be with the Lord. Maybe, maybe this is the first time. Maybe you've done this. You know, just been away from the Lord. Your every head's bowed. We got people in this church that are praying for you. But would you just signify, hey, I need to get my heart and life right with God. I'm not where I should be right now spiritually. Really quick, would you just raise your hand up or down and just just say, hey, I'm not where I should be. Thank you. I, I see I see hands today. I see you can take you can put your hand down. You can put your hand down. They're going to put a prayer up on the screen. And in your own way, I want you just to, I want you to pray that prayer. I want you to, not just acknowledgement, but I want you to have the Lord, you know, ask him into your heart. Look on the screen, just kind of whisper that prayer. Father, I know that I've broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I'm truly sorry, and I want to turn from my sinful past towards you. Please forgive me. I believe that your son Jesus died for my sins and was resurrected from the dead and is alive, and he hears my prayers today. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and reign from my heart from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's that simple prayer. That's it. That's it. It's not complicated. You don't owe anybody any money. We don't want your money. We want you just to serve God, okay? I want you to stand. Worship team's going to sing. I'm going to open the altars this morning. Maybe if you prayed that prayer and you'd like to come and have somebody pray with you, maybe you have a prayer of healing or a miracle that you need in your life. When they start to sing, I want you to come. I want you just to find a place if you want to do that some people will come talk to you pray with you we want to see God just do something powerful in your life this morning Brent thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast we hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you for more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.